You're our Savior, Lord. You have come, Lord, to this earth and robed yourself in flesh, and you have given us access into the throne room of grace. And we lift our hands and our voices and our hearts today to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your blessings on our life. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that we feel in this house today. We glorify you and we magnify you. God bless each and every one of you that are in the house of the Lord today. I turn your attention to the book of Exodus, chapter 6 and verse 2. To all of our guests, friends, and visitors, we say welcome, amen, to the First Pentecostal Church. We're delighted that you are with us. We trust that you are having a safe and enjoyable summer. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2, reading several verses in your hearing this morning. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. I want you to recognize the connection that the covenant of the land had with the identity of who God is. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. A few years ago I was in Egypt. And we were talking about their history, and our guide, who was an Egyptian state guide, said, children of Israel were not really in bondage. They were here, and we were working together as a team. Well, I understood that that was the state's position, but I also understood what the Bible said. The Lord said, I have heard their groaning, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. That's what the Lord said. That's what the Bible says. I'm taking the Bible's word over my uh, guide in Egypt. The Lord heard them that they were groaning, that they were in bondage, and that they were under, verse 7, the burdens of the Egyptians. But he says, and I will bring you in unto the land. Not a land, the land. Concerning the which... I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. Meaning that it's going to pass down through the generations. I am the Lord. Again, his identity and the authority of that identity is what gave this covenant the authority and the land, the collateral for that agreement. Verse 9. And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses. Before Moses ever went to Pharaoh, he first went to the children of Israel and told them what thus saith the Lord. And they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Sometimes sin can just beat you up so much that even though God has a promise for you, you can't hardly believe it. They couldn't even hear the report from Moses because of anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. I want to speak to you this morning for the few moments I have with you from this subject, the covenant of the land. 
Would you say that with me today? The covenant of the land. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. The word that the Lord uh, spoke into the heart and into the mind and ears of Moses uh, was a word that harkened back to a covenant God had made with Abraham. It was a covenant that was with the land. It was a promise that was specific. Oftentimes in contractual law that involves real property, which is real estate, which is land, it oftentimes will have other rights that they say run with the land or are part and parcel to the land. In other words, when you are in covenant or in contract for that land, other things that run with it or are attached to it. This covenant that God entered into with Abraham was not just a covenant with Abraham, it was a covenant with the land. It was a promise that was specific. It was not a promise of general provision. It was a contract concerning a specific piece of property. This contract, like any other contract or covenant, understanding God's nature, that God has a moral nature that is one that abides by the rules and the laws. He makes the laws and then he confines himself to those laws. It is a God that we serve that is a legal God. For someone to try to tell you that God is not legalistic is contrary to numerous principles in the Bible. Is it possible for you and I to become legalistic and leave biblical principles? Absolutely. But to say that God does not have a legal nature is a statement of naivety and lack of understanding. Because God, everything in the Word of God, is a God that follows a legal structure. From Genesis to Revelation, even the New Testament means new covenant or new contract. The Old Testament meaning old covenant or old contract. And everything in between Genesis 1-1 and the end of Revelation is a covenant agreement that God as deity has with man. This covenant that God made with Abraham was one that had consideration. Consideration is the item of value that is exchanged for contract development. Not only did this covenant or contract have consideration, but it also had collateral. Collateral is the asset that secures the enforcement of the agreement. This covenant or contract that God had with Abraham had this land, this promised land as the collateral. In other words, the promise of God was exercised or realized by obtaining the land. And so the land was in covenant with God. And the land was in covenant as a part of the Word of God. So not only was God bound by His Word, but the land was also bound by His Word. So for 5,000 years, it has been called the promised land. War has been raged over this land from day one. Throughout the Word of God, we see it. We see it even now. Even in the news today, war is going on over this land. It has been a point of conflict for thousands of years. And when we look back and we see, even in the Word of God, 
All of the different miracles that took place over the land. There were times when the children of Israel were overrun by the Philistines and the Amorites and the Malachites and, and all kinds of other ites that would come in and try to take the land and yet there would be one miracle after another. The Bible is just full of all of these different miracles. I was reading recently about the Six Day War. It was, it's an amazing uh, series of miracles that took place in 1967 in, in the uh, Holy Land area. In fact, in the spring of 1967, it became clear that Israel would be attacked and destroyed by the combined Arab forces of four powerful countries, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Iraq. Israel was a very young nation, only a few years old at this point. And they only had 275,000 troops, and that was using everybody that they had. It was only a country of 3 million people at the time. And they only had 275,000 troops, and that was pulling from everybody that had a pulse, men and women, because it was their survival. But the Arab nations had 456,000 troops well-trained. And Israel was so convinced of their own demise that before the war began, all of the national parks in Israel were marked to become grave sites. They knew that they were going to be slaughtered so bad that they went ahead and designated all of their parks, national parks, as grave sites for their own people that would die in this war. It was only a matter of when. But in only six days, starting on June 5th, 1967, Israel defeated four nations in six days in a force that more than doubled what they had. And not only did they defeat four nations, but they tripled their land territory to the borders of the promise of Abraham. In fact, when you go back and you read a little bit, you, in fact, if you're, just, if you're just interested in this, just go home and Google. You know, it'd be good for you to do it maybe after the service. But just Google the miracles of the Six-Day War. It's just, you know, there's so many. I, I just got to share a couple of them with you. There was one miracle that took place in the, the conquering of the city of Shechem, which was a town that uh, was being occupied by the Arabs at the time over in the, the eastern part of this border area. And it, it was one of the largest in all of Judea and Samaria. And the IDF, IDF stands for Israeli Defense Forces. The IDF analysts had surmised that the conquest of, 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 of Shechem was pivotal because this city was being used as a staging area for the advancement of the Arab forces. And so the IDF, the Israeli forces, their analysts, they surmised that this would be one of the bloodiest battles, that tens of thousands of people would die in trying to take control of this one city. But they knew they had to, they had to go in there because this was their hub. This was their staging area for all of their advancement into uh, what we know of today as the Holy Land area. And so they, they tried to figure out how they would do it. And, and, and the Jordanians, they knew that this battle was coming. And they knew that this would most likely be one of the bloodiest battles. So they lined up thousands of tanks. And they, they assumed that Israel would come from the coastal plains that, that came over from the Mediterranean where the Israeli troops were occupied. And so the Jordanians, they lined up tanks all on the western uh, part of this uh, city of Shechem. And and uh, from Jordan uh, all the way east to the riverbed of, of, uh, of Terza. 
And uh, as they lined up all these tanks and waited for Israel to come, there was a, there was a road. It was a single road that went through the Sumerian mountains right into Shechem. And this was the crossing and entrance that literally Abraham took as he came into the Holy Land. If you go back and read Genesis 12, the Bible even identifies the city, Shechem. It's actually in the Bible, in Genesis 12. And it talks about when Moses came, you understand that Moses was coming from the east. He came from the Ur of Chaldeans, which was Iraq. He was coming from the east. And so he literally came down this same road. And uh, this was where he came into Shechem. And of course, the promises that we read to you in the scriptures came about as a result of him coming into this land. Well, the Jordanian forces and the Arab forces that were combined to, to keep this city as a stronghold, they, they assumed that Israel would come from the west. But Israel uh, did something a little bit interesting. And they, the Jordanians had all their tanks up in this hilly terrain that looked down uh, over to the west of the city and, and waited for Israel to come. They certainly had the, the high point, which is 90% of the victory in military battles. But the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, they decided to outflank the enemy, similar to what we did in the Gulf War. And instead of coming to where they thought they would come, they, they decided that they would fight around to the north part, and then they would come down to the west, and then they would go all the way over on the east side, which was the Arab side of the city of Shechem, and they would come in, quote-unquote, the back door. And so uh, Colonel Uri Benari uh, tells as an eyewitness account to this conquest of Shechem. He said, at the entrance of Shechem stood thousands of Arabs. Now here comes all of the idea of the Israeli Defense Forces. They're coming now over from the east. The Jordanian tanks are lined up on the west waiting for them to come that way. And they come single file down this road that Abraham took. And they're coming into this city and they're all the tanks and all the Israeli forces are coming into the city. And as they get close to this city, this was in 1967, there were thousands of Arabs who waved white handkerchiefs and clapped their hands like they were, like they were welcoming the returning heroes of war. And it was Israel coming in to conquer it. And they all stood out in the streets and waved handkerchiefs and they clapped and all of this. And the Israeli general says, in our naivety, we return greetings and smiles. You know, if somebody's friendly to you, you'll be friendly to them. Even in a war. Hey, we're so glad to see you. I thought you were going to shoot at me, but I, I guess I'm glad to see you too. So he said, we were just, we entered the town and everybody was happy. And we entered and, and we wondered and we thought, well, we're advancing, but there's no disorder. There's no dispanic. And the armed guards, they're just standing by with the rifles in their hands. And uh, everything, you know, crowds were cheering. And everybody thought, well, this is really strange. And suddenly, something happened which changed the entire picture. One of our officers, now this is the eyewitness account of the Israeli general. He says, one of our officers went to disarm an Arab guard. And when the Arab guard refused to be armed, our officer, Israeli officer, fired a shot in the air. And at that moment, when a shot was fired, all the crowds disappeared and the streets emptied. And they're like, uh-oh. Then the Arabs started um, sniper fire. And he said, I didn't comprehend what had transpired. Only later did I understand 
the residents of Shechem thought that we were Iraqi forces because we were coming in from the east. They thought that we were Iraqi forces who were due to arrive at the direction of the Jordanians and they thought that the Israeli forces were Iraqi forces that were coming into the city to help protect the city when in actuality they were the Israeli forces that were coming to take over the city. It reminds me of the Bible. It's what happened in the Bible. They all, you know, when they conquered and they, they went around, they, they had that big, uh, you know, that, that uh, blockade of Samaria. You remember when there was that great famine? And uh, the Syrian uh, forces, they, they, were, they were a wicked, wicked army. And the Bible talks about it. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells about the wicked things that they did. But they would literally just demoralize an army before they took it over. And they would starve them out in food and supplies. And they were all around this, you know, the Bible talks about this. And, and then in the middle of the night, the Lord just sent this huge noise like an army. And they thought, oh my, the Israelis have hired other people to come from the other direction. We've got to leave. And thousands of Syrian soldiers just up and ran. Thousands of them. Just left everything as it were. And here's Samaria that they're in the middle of a famine. And they're not going to go out there and check on the Syrians and see whether or not they're still in their camps. Because they know that they'll be, you know, mutilated like they would do all of their prisoners. But there were four lepers. The Bible doesn't give them names. I call them Ted, Ned, Fred, and Jed. Those are just my four names for them. There were four lepers that were not allowed to live in Samaria because leprosy was so contagious. So they would put them on the outside of the city and they would throw them scraps once in a while. Well, there were no scraps coming out of Samaria because Samaria was in famine. I'm talking about serious famine. They were eating pigeon dung. That's how bad off it got in Samaria. I mean, it got even worse than that. They were actually eating children. That's how starving they were. And, and so Samaria was in a tremendous famine as the Syrian army. Well, these four lepers, they said, look, I could just see them having a meeting. You know, if we sit here, we're going to die. We can't go into Samaria. They don't have any food. Why not go and attack the Syrians? Now, the Syrians is the most powerful army in the world at that time. And four lepers said, what do we got to lose? We sit here, we die. We go to Samaria, we die. If we go to Syria camp, we'll probably die. But we may not. When they, and I can just see them walking, you know, boy, I tell you what, if I get a hold of one of them soldiers, you know. And, and you know, leprosy, it makes like parts of your limbs disappear and your and it literally eats your flesh in a way, and they're most likely are dragging feet and arms and didn't have all, all of their appendages. And can you imagine these four guys? And I can just see them probably trying to encourage themselves as they you want to tell you something, folks. You might as well do something. If you just sit there, you're gonna die. There's nothing that the world's got, they're starving to death. Why not try God? What do you got to lose? These four guys are, well, I can get to hold on to serious. I want to tell you, right now I've learned some things in karate. I mean, can you imagine these guys trying to <laughs> encourage themselves? And when they get to this Syrian army, there's nobody there. This army left. They've got Domino's pizza boxes that are open. They got Kentucky fried chicken that hasn't been eaten. It's the, the food, the wealth, the whole. Arm, the whole army's gone and they left everything in the camp. And these four guys 
Boy, don't you know they had a tie. <laughs> hey, I found some hamburgers in this tent. I mean, they made their way around. They ate and ate and ate till they were all sitting around like lions, you know, on, a, on the savannah that's just finished off a zebra. I got that picture because I've seen one just like that. They all just bloated. <laughs> he had his big old paw over, over the bones. He had just eaten a zebra. He couldn't breathe. He was so full. I can picture all of them guys just, oh. They say, you know what? They're starving in Samaria. We might as well go and tell them about it. And all kind of stories like that. Well, here we are now. Fast forward to 1967. Here comes this army. And they think, oh, that's not wonderful. Thank you for coming. And then one of the Israeli soldiers says, well, we're glad to be here. We're happy you're here. By the way, I need your gun. And he said, no. And there was a, fire, a shot fired in there, and the street cleared out. And they said, and by that time, it was too late. The Israeli army had driven right up in the middle of the city. And there were, there were, there were numerous uh, tanks, and, and, and they, this guy goes on and tells it. He said, when they woke up to their error, it was too late. The Arabs were surprised. The fear of the Jews fell upon them. He goes on to say that in Hebron, in Shechem, in Janine, and in Jericho, the Arabs were heavily armed. This is in the Six-Day War of 67. There was not even one small Arab village without arms. With great haste, the Arabs, however, hid their weapons and didn't consider using them. They raised their hands up and they flew white flags of surrender from every edifice as they would go into these cities. And the fear of God, this Israeli general says, the fear of God fell upon hundreds of thousands of proud Arabs who were filled with hatred and loathing for Israel only the day before they had sworn to fight until their last drop of blood but in one day God changed their hearts ladies and gentlemen I'm talking to you about a God that in one day can change the heart of your boss in one day can change the heart of your spouse. In one day can change the heart of your child or parent. I'm talking about a God, hallelujah, that if he can change the, the, the end result of a war in 24 hours, don't you know he can give you the miracle that he has promised you? Oh, mighty Lord. Israel, who was a cab driver, he was drafted to fight in the Six-Day War as part of the, the paratroop unit assigned with conquering the Straits of Tehran. He told the following story about the Six-Day War upon his return. He said, the Israeli soldiers didn't have to parachute out of the Nord airplanes, which took them to the Tehran Straits. He said, we landed like spoiled tourists in the airport. In the airport. Because the Egyptian regiment, which was on guard there, had fled before the Israeli uh, troops were visible on the horizon. So they all just landed like tourists. After the landing, he said, I was sent with another reserve soldier who was an electrician to patrol the air. They, get, they gathered everybody and put them in the, in the Israeli army. So he said, it's me and this electrician, and we were put out there to patrol this area. When we had distanced ourselves two kilometers, he said, an Egyptian half-track. Now, half-track, you know, is like a really big uh, piece of equipment, like a tank. He bet it's bigger. Appeared before us, filled with soldiers and mounted with machine guns on every side. So there's two guys standing out in the street, and here comes a half-track full of Egyptian soldiers. He said, we only had light weapons with a few bullets. You know, kind of like, you know, Barney in the, the old Andy Griffith show. You know, he only had that one, Barney, is that his name? That one bullet in his pocket. He said, we only had a few bullets. 
He said they couldn't stop the half track. They wouldn't try. They didn't, we didn't even try to fight. We couldn't stop if we wanted to. So he said we couldn't turn back, so we just stood there in despair, waiting for the first shot. And for lack of a better idea, we just aimed our guns at them. Didn't pull the trigger. But he said the shots didn't come. The half track came to a halt right in front of us, so we decided to cautiously approach it. He said we found 18 armed soldiers inside sitting with their guns in their hand and with a petrified look on their face they literally climbed up in this thing there's 18 soldiers with guns with a petrified look on their face they looked at us with great fear and started begging for mercy he said I I thought I'd go with it so I shouted hands up <laughs> he said we got them all out there and he said as we were marching them and I had returned to a state of calm I asked the Egyptian sergeant next to me tell me why didn't you shoot at us he answered I don't know my arms froze they became paralyzed good God Almighty he said my whole body was paralyzed and I don't know why I know why because I got a God, hallelujah, that can paralyze the enemy. Oh, I've come to preach boldness to some people in this place today. You've got a mighty God. You're not on the losing side. You may be outnumbered, but you've got God, and one with God is a majority. You're in covenant with Him. He said, our whole, our whole, he said, our whole group, we were paralyzed. We literally, physically could not move our body. And he said, I can't explain it to you. It turned out that these soldiers didn't know that the Straits of Tehran were already in Israeli hands. Why didn't they eliminate us? This Israeli soldier said, I don't have an answer. How can one say that God didn't help us? My goodness. Egypt and Jordan, Syria and Iraq. They could not take the land. And here's why. Because the land was in covenant. I said the land was in covenant. Now let me tell you something. I believe with all of my heart that whatever you place in covenant with God, the enemy can't touch it. If you put your house in covenant with God and you say, God, I enter into covenant with you. I enter into contract with you and I'm asking that covenant to run with this house. I believe that God's blessing will be upon every room. You ought to pray over your house. You ought to pray over your kid's bedroom. You ought to pray in the halls. You ought to pray in the dining room and say, let this place bring honor and glory to God as long as I abide here. I believe that you can put your health in covenant with God and the enemy cannot touch it. I believe you can say, Lord, you created this body and as long as you give me strength, I'll praise you. And as long as you give me health, I'll be in the house of God. As long as you keep my children healthy, I'll bring them to church. As long as you give me a voice and hands and arms that will move northward, I'll lift them and praise unto you. Because I want to go in covenant with this temple. 
that it will be a vessel of honor. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Why don't you praise Him right now? Oh, I pray a covenant upon this church. I pray a covenant agreement upon every family and every home and every child and every marriage in the name of Jesus Christ, the name of which there is all power and all authority. We enter into covenant with you, Lord. Jesus. The exodus out of Egypt and into the promised land by the children of Israel under Moses is a direct shadow of the exodus of the New Testamentary generation from the cross to the entrance into the eternal land of rest. We see a number of similarities between the two, not only in the area of principles and concepts, but also in the chronological time frame of the periods under consideration. When you compare the first covenant and the second covenant, the typology of the exodus to the land that was promised to them through Abraham that would run for the generations as we read in our text. And then you compare that to the fulfillment from the cross to the second coming of Christ. It is unbelievable the parallels. The first covenant established a temporary contract of God with the people. <coughs> he chose this old covenant or this Old Testament and he established it as a covenant agreement with the Jewish nation. But the second covenant established a permanent contract from the New Testament or the New Covenant such as a contract that you would have in the laws of our day whenever you amend it. It's the one that is latter in time that takes precedence over the earlier. And so this permanent contract, this new covenant, this codicil as it were, when it took preeminence, in fact, when Jesus Christ came, he fulfilled the letter of the law, but then he took it to an extra level. That was that New Testament or that new contract. The first contract does not have to be broken for the second contract to be established. And Jesus fulfilled all of that to the letter of the law. The first contract introduced the first Passover, which was the blood of lambs. The other fulfilled the type with the sacrifice of the final lamb, i.e. Jesus Christ at Calvary. One brought God's people physical deliverance by crossing through the Red Sea. The other brought God's people spiritual deliverance by the working of the cross of Christ, whereby we cross through the crimson sea. The first was preceded by physical slavery, the bondage of the Hebrews in Egypt. The second was preceded by spiritual slavery, which is man's bondage in spiritual Egypt, i.e. the elements of the law through Galatians 4.3 and the body of sin that we read about in Romans 6.6. 6. 50 days after the first Passover in Egypt, the law was given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai, written upon tables of stone, Exodus 19.1. 
Fifty days after the final Passover was sacrificed, the law was given to the Israel of God, spiritual Jews, as it were, that you and I are a part of. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, it was the law of God written upon their hearts by the Spirit of God. It also was 50 days after the Passover. On the day that the law was given, we read about this. When the law came down by Moses in Mount Sinai, the Lord had given it. When he came down, the children of Israel had fallen into sin. They'd gone back to worshiping a golden calf, idols that they had learned about while they were in Egypt. And we read in Exodus 32, 28, that there were 3,000 that died for worshiping the golden calf, signifying that the covenant of the law from the Old Testament brought death. But on the day that the Spirit was given, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000, the Bible said. Oh, hallelujah. That's what I love about the Word of God. There's nothing that happens by accident. 3,000, the Bible says, was added to the church daily. Oh, hallelujah. Starting at that one upper room experience. We read about that in Acts 2, 41. Signifying that the covenant of the Spirit was bringing life. And just as sure, ladies and gentlemen, as the promised land was in covenant with Israel and still is. And when the smoke clears, the nation of Israel will still be there because of the covenant that comes from the Word of God. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, our land, our promised land, is a heavenly place that you and I are in covenant with. We are in covenant with New Jerusalem. We are in covenant with a heaven. And God's going to come back for a people. And he's going to take us home. And that covenant no man can do away with. I got to hurry. Consider this. This land of heaven is what God is in covenant with, with the church. It don't matter to me if everybody on the earth quits believing in heaven. I'm in covenant with the land. Woo, hallelujah. And it's a covenant that I can give to my children and my children's children because it's running with the land. Hallelujah. I can, tell my, I can tell my kids about it, their grandkids. We can go all the way down the line because we're in covenant with the land. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Everything on this earth may fall apart, but I'm in covenant with a holy land. I've got a God, hallelujah, that has made a covenant agreement that if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal body. Ladies and gentlemen, be not weary in your well-doing. There is a covenant that is running with the land for the church of the living God. I mean, let me show you these verses real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now here's where it gets good, verse 53. For this corruptible must. Just focus on that word for a moment. Why must? Not for this corruptible shall put on incorruption. When the time is fulfilled, this corruptible may. For this corruptible must. Put on incorruption. 
and this mortal must put on immortality. Why must it do those things? Because there's a covenant that's running with the land. And this mortal body can't live in that land unless this corruptible puts on incorruption and this mortal puts on immortality. So when the Lord comes back, it must because there is a covenant with the land. Good God Almighty. <laughs> so when this corruptible, verse 54, shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now just hang on to this. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. What is it that is stronger than death? Let me use natural, let me use the law that you're familiar with to illustrate it. When you buy a piece of land, nine out of ten times you will get a fee simple estate title. You know what that fee simple means? It means it will outlive your life. It goes to your heirs. Now, yes, you can get a life estate, but those are rare. That's measured by the term of your life. But most contracts, especially for real property, they don't just run with you and your life, but they go on to your heirs and your heirs, heirs, and so forth and so on. And you know why? Because the covenant runs with the land and it goes beyond your own life. Ladies and gentlemen, when you enter into covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you are filled with His holy, precious Spirit, and you are baptized in that identifying name of Jesus Christ, and your sins are washed away by the asking and the receiving of forgiveness of sins, which Paul said in Romans was the propitiation or the substitute for us so that your sins can be remitted by the blood of the Lamb going back to Calvary. When you enter into that contractual agreement, ladies and gentlemen, there is a covenant with the land that runs. Hallelujah. And though this body may die and go to the ground, I am still under covenant. That's why death is swallowed up in victory. That's why the sting of death is minimalized. You may have had a loved one that you had to put in the ground. That for years you've had to suffer and deal with the loss of that loved one. I've come to give you hope and to give you encouragement today. There is a land, hallelujah, that is in covenant with that dead loved one that you put in the ground. That's not the final chapter. That's not where it's going to end. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It is subordinate to the covenant with the land. Jesus. And so it outlives your life and my life. And it goes on and on. And it's a covenant agreement that we have with the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan. <laughs> and it's greater than the grave. And when I was a kid, the old timers used to sing about it. But I wonder what's happened in 2014. We've gotten so comfortable with our life, we forgot about the covenant. When things go bad here at home, we wonder what's going on. Don't worry about it. This is just a temporary place. And the old timers used to sing about it. Oh, yeah, they did. 
There's a happy land of promise. Good God Almighty. A happy land of promise. Over in the great beyond. Where the saved of earth shall soon the glory share. Oh, yeah. Where the souls of men shall enter and live on forevermore. Everybody will be happy over there. I wonder if we have forgotten about over there. I don't know about you, but I'm still looking for over there. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, I pray. I'll be covenant with the land. I've got a God, hallelujah, that's got a promise for you and for me. And it's not that far off. If you can stand, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers. We'll be singing around the throne. In that land. Well, from now on, when you hear that land, I want you to think of this message. In that land, knows the care. And the Christians of all ages will join in the triumph song. Everybody, you didn't even have to sing back then to sing. You didn't have to learn how to carry a tune in a bucket or harmonize. It didn't matter. Good God, I feel the Holy Ghost in a shower, just me singing by myself. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, we will hear nobody praying and no mourning in that land for no burdens there will be for us to bear. All the people will be singing Glory, glory to the Lamb. Everybody will be happy over there. We will meet the one who saved us and who kept us by his grace and who brought us to that land so bright and fair. We will praise his name forever. You might as well get used to praising the name of Jesus. You're going to do it forever. As we look upon his face. Because everybody will be happy. And then when they got done singing that, they'd sing. I have a home prepared where the saints abide. Just over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side. Just over in the glory land. I am on my way to those mansions fair. Just over in the glory land. There to sing God's praise and his glory share just over in the glory land. What a joyful thought that my Lord I'll see just over in the glory land and with kindred saved there forever be. 
with the blood washed throne. I will shout and sing just over in the glory land. Glad hosannas to Christ the Lord and King just over in the glory land. Oh, just over in the glory land, I'll sing, oh yes, the happy angel band, just over in the glory land. Oh, just over in the glory land, there with the mighty host I'll stand, just over in the glory land. Now let me ask you this question. We got all this going for us. You think I'm going to throw this away for some little trick the devil throws my way? You think I'm going to throw this all away for an emotional pity party? Because somebody didn't shake my hand? Good God Almighty, you can dunk me 50 times in that tank. I'll be here at church tonight. I got a covenant with the Lord. I don't always do everything right. I don't always say the right thing or have the right response. But I got a God who loves me. And I'm in covenant with the land. I'm going to make it. If you're falling down, get back up again. Square your shoulders and make up your mind. I'm going to make it to the glory land way. Would you lift your hands all over this building right now? Would you lift your voice? Good God Almighty. Come on, lift it up right now. Lord, I give you praise and glory in this house today. Woo! In the name of Jesus Christ. I enter into covenant. I enter into covenant. I enter into covenant. In the name of Jesus. Oh, People say, how come y'all so happy? Now you'll be able to summarize it in one statement. Because we are in covenant with the land. If you're not in covenant with the land today, I say to you as kind as I can, we need to cross over Jordan today. Apply the blood of Calvary through repentance. Go through the Red Sea of baptism. Be filled with the spirit that spoke the law into existence and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness. And enter into covenant with a God that will keep you and bless you. And though people and friends and even spouses may turn and walk away, there is a covenant that will survive every disappointment and will survive every heartache and will survive even the grave. And that covenant is given to you and to me. Where every head is bowed and every eye is closed in this auditorium right now, I ask you this question. If you've not entered into covenant yet with the Lord, if you've not totally given your life to Him, I'm talking about now, not where you serve God on occasion, but I'm talking about where you enter into contract with God and you say, Lord, my life is not my own. I put it in your hands. I ask you right now, would you step out from where you're standing? Would you come down this aisle, stand here at the front of this building right now? I want to pray for every single one of you right now. I believe God wants to give a covenant agreement 
or you say, I, I, I've been in church for a while, Pastor, but I've let some things get in between me and God. I want to reestablish that covenant agreement right now. There's no better way. There's no better way to reestablish the covenant agreement than to come down to this altar right now and to find a place of praise and prayer and say, God, I'm going to put everything in your hands. I've been fretting and worrying about some things, but now I realize, Lord, those things are not really all that important. Look at all these people that are coming. This is awesome. This is awesome. Why don't you talk to your neighbor right now and say, hey, come on, let's just go down to the altar. Let's pray together because I want to be in heaven with you. I don't want to just go to church with you. I want to worship around the throne on the other side with you. Come on, let's come together. Come on, let's get in covenant with God right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. They're coming from all over the building. This is awesome. This is awesome. Hallelujah. You see somebody you know down here, you want to pray with them? Come on, let's, let's spend a few moments. I know there's a lot of things waiting for us over the life center. But before we do that, this right here is more important. Anybody right now that said, Lord, I'm ready to enter into covenant with you. That's it. Just come from wherever you're at. Just come down to this altar. That's it. Lift up your hands right now. Say, Lord, if there's been anything that's come between me and you, I'm asking you right now, Lord, to remove it. Let there not be any hindrances. Let there not be any encumbrances that would affect, Lord, that covenant agreement with you. I'm asking you, Lord, right now to forgive me of every sin, every wrong thought, every wrong action. Maybe something that I've harbored in my spirit, I didn't even realize it until it was too late. But Lord, I'm asking you right now to cleanse my heart from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Wash me once again as white as snow. I know, Lord, you took your your children through the Red Sea, but before they got in the Promised Land, they had to go again through the Jordan River. And I'm asking you now, Lord, though you have delivered me from the Red Sea, I want to go through the Jordan River right now. I want to build a memorial. I want this to be something significant, a moment that I can point back to and recognize that, Lord, this is when you took me into the Promised Land. This is when you revealed that you had a calling on my life, that you had a destiny for me, that I wasn't just here by accident. I wasn't just marking time, but that, God, you have, your hand is upon me and there's a calling on my life. Oh, I I feel the Holy Ghost right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for the outpouring of your spirit, Lord, upon all of your children. I pray for a physical confirmation of a spiritual consequence that has happened, Lord. Now, would you lift your hands all over the building right now, and would you begin to worship him and thank him and say, Lord, I receive your spirit into my life. What a beautiful congregation. This is beautiful. Come on, lift your hands. That's it. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to live in fear any longer. I'm not going to live in doubt any longer. I'm not going to live beyond the promises that you have for me any longer. I know that you're in covenant with me. I receive your promises this very day. And nothing shall shake me out of your hand, Lord.